praise team for leading us in that way. We're so grateful. We uh, didn't think we were going to have PowerPoint for a little while, so glad, uh, Adam, thank you for getting that back up and working for us. Appreciate that. When uh, I was preparing this message, there were a lot of things that were going through my mind. Uh, one of the things that had happened was uh, a couple of weeks ago at our small group, Shelly had asked me if Pastor Brian was going to be speaking uh, about Palm Sunday, or about you know, the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, and I said, well, uh, I doubt it because he's doing his series, so I don't think he will be. Uh, I didn't realize at the time that I was prophetic because he isn't going to be. I'm here instead. I hope you're not disappointed. Uh, but he had a, ba a baseball tournament down in Wisconsin. Uh, his son did this weekend, so he's gone down there. And so he had asked me after, that was on a Sunday evening, he asked me on the following Wednesday if I would uh, share the word this morning. And so uh, I had apologized to Shelley because I didn't want her to think I was being deceptive. So... I hope you didn't come this morning anticipating Pastor Brian and, and be disappointed, uh, but uh, we are uh, grateful for his many wonderful messages that he does preach to us and glad to have him have an opportunity to be away and to enjoy this, uh, this break that he's getting. So, uh, I was thinking uh, as I was uh, going through this, what do you uh, look for if you were thinking today... Um, I'm expecting somebody to come in and conquer an enemy, somebody to come in and, and uh, win a victory. Uh, what would that person or, or what would that look like to you? Uh, what would they come uh, on? Would they come on a, a large steed? Steed, get it? <laughs> I always uh, say that, you know, we're the steeds with a tail, you know, with the E on the end of the name. Okay, sorry. It's funny in our family. A little humor, very little, yes. Um, but we, uh, uh, most of us would think that way, wouldn't we? I mean, that uh, this was a, a picture that came online, and see how huge this horse is. And that's kind of what you would expect, wouldn't it? Somebody who come in power and great might. Instead, our Savior one who came and won a victory for us came on a donkey something that's hard for us to imagine with the person what would you expect the person to look like you would expect wouldn't you somebody who would be a warrior somebody who was strong and mighty and and uh exuded great strength and power and yet our savior came preaching and talking about being humble and gentle about forgiveness and love and hope and promise, about faith and trust, belief and obedience. Sometimes what we look for is not what we get. Sometimes what we anticipate is not maybe the best for us. And so today, as we look through the accounts here uh, found in God's Word, we're going to be looking at our Jesus and how he came and how he was received by the people who were there. This week, as I was reading in my daily reading, I, I was uh, 
Is this not working? Okay, I'll stand over here. It's always hard for me. I like to move around. Um, This week I was reading about David. And I was thinking about the comparison between what people were probably anticipating when David came on the scene. His brothers and the Israelites were engaged in a battle. But they had come up against Goliath, a giant, nine foot tall. And he was on one side and they were on the other. And there's this uh, taunting back and forth. As Goliath would challenge them to come out and he'd say, you know, come out, send somebody out and fight against me. And, and if they win, then we will be your slaves. But if I win, then you will be our slaves. And so you have this battle that's taking place. And along comes David, a shepherd boy. And he comes out and he's looking at this scene and he's thinking to himself, what is this? You guys have God on your side and yet you're looking out there at this guy and you're afraid of him. And so he goes and, he, and he's asking questions and his brothers get upset with him. And, and so he goes and he talks to Saul, who was the king, and he says, I'll go and take care of this guy for you. I have God on my side. I've killed lions and bears. I can handle this guy. He's nothing. And he does. <laughs> and what did he use? He didn't go out, you know, they, they try to put the armor on him and, and, and oh, give him a sword and that sort of thing. He says, no, that doesn't work for me. I can't, I'm not used to wearing these things. I'm not used to handling a sword. I'll go with with the way I would fight against the lion and the bear. Gently, quietly, he goes out and he and he takes a sling and he takes a stone and he throws it, hits the giant in the head, he kills him. He won a victory that day, not in his own power, not in his own strength, not in his own ability, but trusting in God. And God gave him that victory. But it wasn't what the, the, the Israelites were expecting at that point. It wasn't it wasn't who they expected to win the victory. I think they were probably all looking at one another and, and, and thinking, well, okay, it's got to be this guy over here because he's big and strong and he's powerful. He can do this. Or, or maybe that guy, he's, you know, he's got the reputation of being really, really quick and he's got a sword and a knife that he can really... But, but none of them would go forward because the giant was huge. The giant was big. The giant was such that, that they didn't dare to try to take him on. I wonder today, what are we looking for? What kind of king are we looking for? What kind of, of savior are we looking for? What kind of person are we looking to come in? Are we looking for a David? What are we looking for? One of the things that's uh, a surprise, I think, to everyone who opens up the Word of God, if you read the Old Testament and you read about these mighty men of God who step forward, and then we enter into the New Testament. And as you enter into the New Testament, you come and you see a baby born in a manger. And this baby grows up and all he wants to talk about is love and peace and, and grace and, and, and his father and being obedient. He never talks about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead an army of victory and, and, and take over these uh, uh, Roman soldiers who are oppressing us, the Roman government that is controlling us. He doesn't talk about that. But that's what they were anticipating. That's what they were looking for. So today I want us to draw a contrast between that visual, if you would. The conquering king who would come on a steed and the lowly savior who would come on a donkey. 
And as we read through the scriptures today, I want us to have that, that image in our minds as we do that comparison. If you would, if you turn with me to John chapter 12, and we begin in verse 12. And I could have gone to any of the Gospels with regard to the triumphal entry, but I chose John's Gospel because I think John is reflecting back after many years, and he has seen what's happened with the church, and he understands that the church was confused even at the time that Christ was there with them. And so he tries to give them a new perspective on this. So let me read for you from John chapter 12, beginning verse 12, and you can follow along. The next day the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had to happen or had to be written about him and that they had to be done these... Uh, had to be done these... They had... I'm sorry, let me reread that. <laughs> they did... At first, the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, it, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone over to him. And you see, the people who came there that day, they were anticipating that that reigning soldier, that one who would come in great might and power, and he would be riding on a, on a mighty uh, horse, uh, somebody who would come in and take over and would reign there uh, in Jerusalem over the Romans. And so that's what they were anticipating. But Jesus comes riding into the village on a donkey. He's riding on something that's pretty lowly, pretty insignificant. And so Jesus uh, was who they uh, was, were looking for. They were looking for a conquering king. They were looking for someone who would... Am I on? Oh, okay. They told me to move around up there to see if it was working. <laughs> so Jesus was who they were looking for. They were looking for somebody who was going to come and be the king. They call him that in the scripture here. They call him the king. They recognized that Jesus was the promised Messiah. He just wasn't what they were looking for. They were looking for that one who would who would be carrying a sword and, and great power and strength and who was going to defeat an army. But Jesus came to, be, to defeat a greater enemy. Jesus came to defeat Satan. Jesus came to bring victory to all of those who would trust and believe in him. He brought the greatest victory that has ever been able to be imagined since before the creation of time. They were looking for one thing. Jesus brought 
what we really needed. I think sometimes that we get caught up in, in these attitudes of, of looking for Jesus to do a certain thing for us, to, to have something be accomplished for us, when in reality what we need is what is best for us, which is what God wants for us in our lives. And that was true for them as well. So the people are there and they're shouting, uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. That's who they thought he was. You remember back in the beginning of John, uh, they had gone to John the Baptist and they said, are you the one? They were looking for it. The, 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 the leaders were looking for him. Are you the one? And John says, no, I'm not the one. Are, are, you, are you the one? No, I'm not. They're looking for that. But they weren't looking for one who would come the way Jesus came. So they were looking for the Messiah who would bring them great victory. They were looking for one who would bring salvation. Salvation their way. The way they thought it should be done. That's what their anticipation was. That they had a vision of what Messiah would look like. What he would do. What he would accomplish. But that's not what Jesus brought. Jesus instead, he brought what had been promised. He brought salvation but he did it God's way. God had provided a way for us to have eternal salvation, not a temporary salvation. If you think back over the the history of the world, you think back over uh, Scripture, Old Testament Scripture, these armies would come in and they would bring victory. David had killed his tens of thousands. He had brought victory after victory. Many others uh, throughout the history of the Israelites had brought victory, but it was always temporary. It was always something that would come for a period of time and then would disappear. But Jesus came, and he was bringing victory that would last for eternity. They expected a king to come in power, and yet this king came, a humble servant. One who, if you keep reading in the book of John, you see that that he tells his disciples he is going to be crucified. He tells them that his end has come. Five days later, we know that he'd be going to the cross. You see, he, he knew what was right ahead of him. And yet, what does he do? In, in chapter 13, he gets down on his hands and knees in front of them, and he washes their feet. He demonstrates and models for them what it means to be a servant leader. He demonstrates and models for them what it means to be a humble Savior, one who had come to bring victory over something that they had no idea that he could bring victory over. They had come, as it said in the scripture that we read, they, they were excited because they, many of them had seen what he had done with Lazarus. Lazarus had, had been de- dead for three days and, and Jesus came along and he spoke and he, and he came up out of the grave and he was alive again. And they had, that had never been done before. So they were excited, and they're waiting, and they're anticipating. And, and so when they, they see Jesus coming into town, they're there. They're, they're throwing these, these uh, palm branches and their cloaks. They're throwing them down on the ground in front of him. They're, they're shouting and, and rejoicing because they think that he is going to come and defeat Pilate and the others who were oppressing them, who were keeping them from being able to celebrate God the way they wanted to celebrate God. They were anticipating that. 
but Jesus came and, and he, he came in on this donkey and he's riding on this donkey and he comes into town and, and, and there's a lot of excitement and enthusiasm. But Jesus knew what was just ahead. Jesus knew what was right around the corner. Jesus knew their hearts and what was going to be coming out of them in just a short period of time. The shout of Hosanna, really what it means is save. It's a plea for salvation. That's what they were calling for. They're looking for God's salvation. They're pleading for it. They're hollering for it. They're they're saying, uh, Jesus, bring us salvation. But they're not looking at salvation from their sins. They're looking at salvation from the oppressors. They're not looking for eternal. They're looking for temporal relief from the things that were going on. I think sometimes that we spend our lives looking for and anticipating the temporary things that are in front of us and we don't see the eternal. We don't see the importance and significance of what is going to happen into eternity. And that's why so many of us are are confused and, and struggle with so many things in our lives because we don't understand what's ahead in the provision that Jesus Christ has given to us. So they're shouting, save us. Hosanna, save us. That's what they're shouting to him. And that's what he's there to do. But again, they don't understand. They're looking at somebody on a donkey. They were really looking for somebody to come on a steed. And it's not happening. It's interesting as you read that, the the frustration of the the religious leaders, right? They're there and they're saying, look, the whole world's going over to this guy. I don't understand what you know. Why don't we do something about this guy? The whole world, as they understood the world, everybody is coming, and so you get the sense here that this is a huge crowd. This isn't just a a few of his disciples who are coming along and hollering and making a big ruckus. This is a lot of people are gathered there. Somewhere I read in in my preparation, I I read that they they anticipated there was like. Two and a half million people who were probably there in the city at that time. Millions and millions of sheep were being brought in. There's a lot of of, of turmoil in this city at this point. And this crowd is shouting, Hosanna. They're asking for salvation. They're asking for somebody to come and be their savior. The whole world, they felt, was going over to him. And as I, as I was thinking about that, I came across this story. Some years ago, a book uh, was written by Gene Smith, a noted American historian. The title was, When the Cheering Stopped. It was a story of President Woodrow Wilson and the events leading up to and following World War I. When that war was over, war, uh, Wilson was an international hero. There was a great spirit of optimism abroad, and people actually believed that the last war had been fought and the world had been made safe for democracy. As I was reading that, I was thinking, Dick Madov, your dad, who said that one time, he said, you know, we we felt when we were fighting World War I that this was the war to end all wars. And whenever I read that statement, I think of your dad saying that to us. On his first visit to Paris after the war, Wilson was greeted by cheering mobs. 
he was actually more popular than their own heroes. The same thing was true in England and Italy. In a Vienna hospital, a Red Cross worker had to tell the children that there would be no Christmas presents because of the war and the hard times. The children didn't believe her. They said President Wilson was coming, and they knew everything would be all right. The cheering lasted about a year. Then it gradually began to stop. It turned out that the political leaders in Europe were more concerned with their own agendas than they were a lasting peace. At home, Woodrow Wilson ran into opposition in the United States Senate, and his League of Nations was not ratified. Under the strain of it all, the president's health began to break. In the next election, his party was defeated. So it was that Woodrow Wilson, a man who barely a year or two earlier had been heralded as the new world messiah, came to the end of his days broken and defeated. And that is what happens when somebody comes in great power and strength in the worldly way of doing things. It never lasts. And that's why it's so significant of what Jesus did. Jesus came to defeat the greatest enemy ever known to mankind. And he did it in a way that was not expected. If you would, turn turn with me to chapter 19 of John, a couple of chapters back. In the the midst, in the between here, there was a lot of things that Jesus was teaching. You remember this is only a five-day period of time, but there's great teaching that takes place here. Many things that we can learn uh, about this. But this same crowd... Many of the same people who had been cheering and yelling, Hosanna, were here in this crowd. Jesus had been arrested by now, and he was taken in before Pilate. And this is what we read. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up, up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! they struck him in the face. Doesn't sound like a victorious, strong soldier, does it? Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power to either free you or to crucify you? Awesome statement by Jesus. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed him over to me, I'm sorry, me over to you is guilty of greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let him 
let this man go. You are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which is in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. You kind of get the sense of frustration and, and, and irritation and, and like, I don't know what to do at this point. Here is your king. And, and, he, and he turns him over. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. And you can sense the anger and frustration growing in the people. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. You understand what's happening here. Pilate is a political pawn in this situation. Pilate is a weak leader. Pilate is afraid to stand up to the people and the, and the Jewish leaders have in their mind that they are going to have Jesus put to death no matter what. They've been plotting on this for weeks. They have been trying to get Jesus to a point where they could kill him for weeks and they had not been able to do it. And now they have their opportunity and so what do they do? They come to the people and they start to stir the people. And they start to get the people all worked up. And, and, they're, and they're shouting to crucify. These are some of the same people who had earlier been there laying down their cloaks, laying down the palm branches, shouting, Hosanna, save us. These are the same people. And I would submit to you that perhaps, perhaps in this crowd, some of his disciples, some of those who had been the closest to him, may have been standing there on the sideline. And they may not have shouted because they, they might have been afraid to do that. Maybe... Maybe they, under their breath, they didn't want people around them to know, but were they there giving approval and giving agreement out of fear? I think that sometimes we reject the offers of Jesus Christ out of fear. So when we're with other people, sometimes we deny Christ. We don't want somebody else to know that I believe and I trust in Him. And so we remain silent. I wonder if some of His disciples were in that crowd remaining silent not speaking up, not supporting who they were there to see. You see, five days earlier, they were praising the promised king coming. And five days later, they're hollering, crucify, crucify. They were in agreement with killing Jesus who had come. Next week on Friday, we are going to remember the crucifixion of Christ upon a cross. We have our Good Friday service. It's an opportunity for us to go, and, and we remember that last hours of Christ's life as he hung upon that cross. You see, the people here, in a sense, are the jury. Pilate has brought him out, and he's offered the people the opportunity to choose to release Jesus Christ. Those same people who had hollered Hosanna are now being asked, take him. Don't make me crucify him. And yet they're yelling, shouting, crucify, crucify. He says, well, I want to release this man. No, release to us Barabbas. They chose him 
over Jesus Christ. Why? Because the crowd was stirring them up. I think that so often we listen to the crowd instead of listening to Christ, instead of listening to the Holy Spirit. And we as the people of God, we as Christians have got to begin standing up and speaking out for Jesus Christ. We need to let people know that there is a Savior, that there is one who is worthy of hollering and shouting Hosanna to. He has come to save us. And we have to stop being the silent ones. We have to be those who are vocally telling people about Jesus Christ. If we don't tell, who's going to? If we don't go out and we don't shout that He has won the victory, who is going to? I don't know about you, I find myself way too often being silent when given an opportunity to speak out for Jesus Christ, and we have got to be the people who speak. And I don't know when we're going to start doing that, but as the people of God, we need to begin. When I think about what Jesus said on the cross, amazing comments that he makes, and I don't have them all here for you today, but but when he's hanging on the cross, these are some of his statements. In Mark, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus Christ had never experienced separation from God the Father since before the creation of the world. Now, all of a sudden, he's hanging on this cross, and God has to turn his face away because Jesus Christ is there, and he's taking upon himself our sins. He who had never experienced sin is now having all of our sins poured upon him and poured upon him. And he's full of sin as he's hanging on that cross. Your sins and my sins, he's hanging on that cross. And God has to turn his face because God cannot look upon sin. And Jesus is saying, why have you forsaken me? He's left me. I'm hanging here on this cross and I have nothing but sin and pain and anguish. And you and I are the ones that are causing that pain and anguish. Hanging there on that cross. And he's asking his father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? As he's suffering with our sins. And he says, but father, even though I'm taking all of those sins upon myself, even though all of that garbage is coming on me and being heaped on me, even so, father... Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They were shouting Hosanna for me. They called crucify. They're making fun of me as I hang on this cross. But Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he says, it is finished. What he had come to accomplish had been completed. He had made a way to remove our sins because He bore them on the cross. We don't need to face them anymore. Bill O'Reilly is coming out with a book, The Last Days of Jesus. He was on uh, TV uh, Friday and he was talking to Matt Lauer. And Matt Lauer was approaching it and, and, and he was asking Bill O'Reilly about this. And 
And Bill O'Reilly made this statement. He says, Jesus Christ was a man from history. All of history affirms that. And Matt Lauer is saying, but he didn't disagree with, with Jesus being a man of history. He says, well, but you want me to behave in a certain way to, to be like Jesus. And, and Bill O'Reilly says, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about the fact that Jesus Christ was an historical person. He was a man who lived, and all of history attests to that. And I had to leave at that point. <laughs> I, literally, I had to leave at that point. I would like to have seen the rest of it. But here's my question to you. Since Christ was here on this earth, that's a, that's a historical fact that, that nobody seems to even try to debate. What are we going to do about the fact that Jesus Christ was a man who claimed as the Israelite leaders said here, to be God. As I see it, we have two choices. We either have to say that Jesus Christ, the historical man, was either a liar, a hypocrite, crazy, and should be totally ignored, or we have to believe him. I don't see that we have a third choice. We have two choices. Look at him as a crazy fool who's not worthy of listening to, or believe him. And what did he say? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus Christ, claimed to be God. He claimed that there is only one way to get to God, to spend eternity with Him. He claimed that He was the Messiah who had been promised, that they had been identifying as the Messiah when He was coming into Jerusalem, riding on that donkey. We have a choice that we have to make. Either we believe that Jesus Christ was who He said He was, or we have to reject him. The people here are, are shouting, crucify, crucify, crucify. They want him dead because they don't believe him. But we know. Because Good Friday is hanging on the cross. Easter morning, he rose from the dead. He is no longer in that grave. He is no longer dead. The man who everyone identifies and says was historically true, who claimed to be God, is no longer dead. He was raised from the dead. He's living and is at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, and He will reign there for eternity. We have to make a decision. Will I trust Him or will I reject Him? There is no middle ground with Jesus Christ. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you have got to make a decision. Because you do not know 
when the end is here. For you, maybe for the world. The way things are going in our world today, who knows what's going to happen. If you've trusted Christ, which side are you going to be on? When you're asked, will you be one of those who would have welcomed him? Would you be one of those who would be shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, here comes Christ, here comes our Savior, here comes the King? Or would you be one of those in the crowd who is hollering, crucify, crucify? Those are the ones that have rejected him. I don't think you have a middle ground. I don't think you have a choice here. You either believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, and you have to believe that. If you believe that, you don't have a middle ground. You can't come into the middle and say, well, I think he was this or that. No, he either was right, that he is the only way, the truth, and the life, or he was wrong, he was lying. If you believe that he was right, if you believe that he is the only way, then you have to be on the side of Christ. You have to trust him. You have to believe in him. What about you? Which one are you? What are you doing with him today? Where are you going with Jesus Christ in the coming days? Will you trust him? Some of you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, or maybe you've given a, a verbal assent. Maybe you've, maybe you've even prayed a prayer with somebody, but you've never really given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. You may come here every Sunday. You might look really nice and whitewashed, but inside you're saying crucify him. Now, you would never say that out loud, but inside your life is demonstrating crucify him. My challenge today is will you say he is who he said he was? Hosanna. Save us. We are a people desperately in need of salvation. And when you go out tomorrow, will you tell your neighbors and friends, Hosanna, God has sent a Savior, Jesus Christ. Hosanna, save us. We have a short video clip that will demonstrate all of the things that we've been talking about here this morning. After that, the praise team will come up. If you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, you would like to do that, I would love to talk to you the end of the service we have many others that i could point you to you have to make a decision will you trust in christ today